Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You being able to make sure that you can make your returns, your payments to your investors. So you have to make sure that you very well know the landlord laws and that it fits the business model that you've gone out there before. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hey, Best Ever listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I am your host today, Matt Faircloth. You may know me from the Bigger Pockets podcast, the Bigger Pockets Bootcamp, or our company, the DeRosa Group's YouTube channel. Today, I'm here with Best Ever for a new series focused on the fundamentals of multifamily investing. Whether you're a new to real estate investing or you're a single family investor looking to make the jump into multifamily, and even if you're an experienced syndicator, it's always important to remember and understand the fundamentals. So in this 10-part series, we're going to deep dive into the fundamentals of not just investing in multifamily, but building a business. We're going to dissect everything from choosing the right market, understanding and financing multifamily properties, and knowing how to master investor relations, all the way to how to build out your multifamily dream team. Let's get started. What is going on, Best Ever community? This is Matt Faircloth, and I'm super excited for today's conversation and really grateful to be here in front of you guys doing a little guest takeover of the Best Ever Show to talk to you guys about all kinds of great stuff, multifamily investing, and how you guys can raise your game in your real estate investing multifamily business. Today, my co-host on the show is my man, my partner in crime, Hervé Francois. How are you today, man? What's going on, everyone? Your favorite director of acquisitions here, Hervé Francois. So excited. He's a hunter, market hunter. And then some, right? (laughs) Targeting markets, targeting deals. Guys, this is going to be a lot of fun. Today's conversation is going to be all about markets, the magic market ride that we're going to talk about today, and how I think selecting the market you want to invest in is one of the key components to success, which is why this is one of the earlier conversations in teaching you guys how to raise your multifamily game or just really about long-term success in multifamily really works. So, Hervé, when you hear people talk, and you and I were at a conference recently, and I met somebody, and I said, you want to get into multifamily, that's great. Which markets are you shopping in? And he's, oh, I'm currently evaluating 20 markets right now. Yeah. What do you say to somebody like that? I don't know if you met the same person, but when you hear someone who's that wide on their market shopping, what are your thoughts? 
when they're that wide, they're that scared. <laughs> I mean, I'll just put it out there. Chase the shiny nickels, right? Wherever the deal comes up. Yeah. And when I say scared, they are uncertain. They're uncertain yeah. what they're looking for. They have not identified a business model for their acquisition in regards to are they looking for markets that have cash flowing properties? Are they looking at markets that have appreciation growth properties? Looking at potential markets that have both and things like that. So they're all over the place. There's no clear direction. And once I hear someone say that, and believe it or not, I hear that more often than not, there's no clear defined strategy. And it's a very dangerous way to try to get started because that means that you can follow anything down any given path. Absolutely. And I think that if you play in that many markets, you're just hoping for something that makes sense, that has good yield. It's going to maybe cash flow, whatever it is, shows up. And really, in, in essence, what you're doing is gambling. You yeah. might land a deal. You might catch something you didn't want to catch. You might catch cold. Or you might end up just doing nothing. And what you're yeah. really doing is gambling. You just roll the roulette wheel and... You know, darts. You who knows? Darts. Throw it a dart. Yeah. Right. Maybe yeah, it is. You're just, you're just yeah. throwing darts. You got to build a business. And building a business is in market selection. If you look at very successful multifamily operators, very few of them have just one asset in a market. Many of them have multiple assets in multiple markets. And that's because multiple assets in multiple markets and expansion and infiltration of a specific market that you've chosen allows you to build teams. It allows you to build resources. It allows you to know that market just that much better because you're already leasing in that market. You already have teams in that market. You've already got infrastructure in that market. So I think that at the end of the day, that is where you're really going to multiply your business. And, and the brokers get to know you because they know you already own there. They know you're a player. They don't right. care or know what you own. If you're investing in Topeka, Kansas, they don't certainly care what you own in Tallahassee, Florida. It might be curious conversation for them. That's not really going to put any money in their pocket. But if they know that you own an apartment building that's a mile away from a listing that they're about to put on the market, they are going to call you. If you're in regular communication with them, if they know you to be a good closer, if you've established yourself in relationships, we at DeRosa get inside looks on deals that are about to come out because most brokers know that we are present in the market that they're about to list a deal in. And we're only active in a handful, literally like three markets in the United States. That's it. So those brokers know that we are serious and we play in just those sandboxes. And so they're going to call us first. We want you guys, our listeners, to be at that level as well. So you've got who you know your property management company is going to be, who you know your renovation company is going to be, who you know that your broker that you're likely is going to bring you the deal is. So you make sure you take these people out to coffee, take them out to lunch. Whenever you're in town, make sure that your relationship with them is happy. You can't do that if you're investing in any more than a handful of markets across the United States. Absolutely. And I think there is, believe it or not, Matt, a very simplistic approach in designing really what is going to be your acquisition criteria, what makes an attractive market for you. So you can narrow down that list from 20 markets to one to two to three markets, right? It doesn't need yeah. to be 20 markets. And then once you've gotten some scale in that particular market, you can take that same criteria, replicate it and take it into market number two. So there's so many ways it can seem certainly overwhelming when you say, oh, I want to buy whatever I can find anywhere. Well, hold on. Let's just pump the brakes on that. Let's get a little bit more thoughtful about your process. What are you looking for? And then let's go ahead and drill down from there. Yeah. 
And there we go, guys. So let's hop in. And we're going to give you guys the tools. So if, if you are, and, and we are not judging you because we've been there too. Before I met Hervé Francois, he used to make fun of me a little bit, but I was that investor that was looking at deals in Tallahassee and in Portland, Oregon, and in, over here, over there, everywhere, St. Louis, Missouri. Name the city, and I'm looking at deals in it. And Hervé's been able to help our company focus, and that is one of the factors that's helped us 10x our business in size. So we want you guys to get there too. We want you guys to 10x also that are listening. And so we're going to give you guys the tools. So if you are one of these operators that is shopping in more than 20 markets across the United States, we got you. We got your back. We're going to be giving you guys the tools in this episode to properly evaluate those markets and make the market that makes the most sense for you rise to the top. I will also say this. Do not have paralysis by analysis. If you narrow your 10 markets you like down to five and they all have good fundamentals, here's the thing. It kind of doesn't matter. Just pick one. Go alphabetical order. Start with the one that starts with an A. Go for Albuquerque, whatever it is. The reason I say that is focus on a market is likely more important. And the scale that you're going to get to by focusing on a specific market is a little bit more important than choosing the right market. Because there's no right market. There's no right market, Irving. There's not one market in the United States that's going to do well and the other 10,000 of them are going to do badly, right? There's a a section that's going to do well. And if you use the data that Irving is going to give you guys, the market you pick is likely going to be one of the ones in the United States that does well over the next 10 years, right? So just pick, just pick one and focus. What do you got, Ray? This is 100% right. The great thing, once you're able to go ahead and drill down on that market because you've identified the type of properties that you would like to acquire and truly what your acquisition criteria and your acquisition strategy, once you've identified that market, the so-called true real fun part of the exercises. Now you get to start developing relationships in that market. So now you don't have to think about having to know brokers all across the country or up and down the Eastern seaboard or the Western seaboard that you can drill in. Let me start developing relationships with brokers in this market, commercial brokers. Let me start developing relationships with insurance brokers in this market. Let me start meeting some property managers in this market as well as some contractors. Right now you're building your digital Rolodex of your team. It's not going to be employees, but it's going to be the team, the folks that you need that's going to help you go forward with that process of finding that property in that market and then all the way through closing. You're going to need lawyers potentially if you're going to be syndicating a deal and whatnot. You're going to want a lawyer in that market potentially. So that's honing down the market. Believe it or not, folks, it may seem overwhelming, but it's not. Once we start talking you through the steps and some of the metrics you look at, and then from there, it start developing the relationships. So let's talk about a bit of our origin story. Because when I met you at Aria years ago, and you're like, hey, Matt, what markets are you guys looking into? And I was like, oh, the Carolinas. And of course, she scoffed at me a little bit and took me to school and said, hey, listen, Matt, two states is not one market. One state likely consists of anywhere between three to four dozen individual little MSA markets that have different jobs and different populations of people. And at the end of the day, it really made a major difference in our business. You then looked at it and said, okay, I'll dance with you in Winston's in North Carolina. But what we're going to do is I'm going to show you guys data on a few of the markets there. And one that I really like that nobody's talking about, and this was a couple of years ago, people are talking about it now, but a couple of years ago, people weren't talking about it. And that market is Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Irvay, we'll talk about what you did in a second here, but you brought Winston-Salem to us, and this is how now you're latched in arms and, and a partner in the company because you showed us Winston, and we said, okay, I like it. 
Why did you choose Winston as a market that you wanted to push to Rosa to further infiltrate? We've done it. We have three apartment buildings there now. So why Winston? I went ahead and started doing just background research on the state of North Carolina. Again, it's just starting with one. That told me the Carolinas. I'm like, okay, let me just start with North Carolina and then we'll take it from there. And then I went ahead and I started drilling down on perhaps like the top five, the top six cities of North Carolina population-wise. Knowing Charlotte's the largest city, all well-known about, you've got the professional sports teams over there, part of the research triangles, so you've got the big universities over there, and so on and so forth. No hate on Charlotte whatsoever. Plenty of investors done very, very well in Charlotte, and perhaps will continue to do very well in Charlotte over the next several years. But Winston-Salem really stood out to me because it was a city that had a lot of opportunities going for it, existing and future. Some of the existing ones was its location. Now we're talking an hour, hour, 10 minutes north of Charlotte, but a city that also has its own airport. Talk about a city of 250,000. With that population, I know it's below a lot of people's radar screen. Folks are going to think first, Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, the research triangle cities before they start thinking Winston-Salem. Then I'm looking at some of the different industries that are inside Winston-Salem. It's bracketed by six universities, the largest being Wake Forest. You've got a healthcare network over there. You've got manufacturing over there. You have a AAA baseball park over there. I know one of Matt's favorite subjects, if you will, yeah. on identifying an attractive city that it has a AAA baseball team. Not a major league there. baseball team. Baseball team AAA right? baseball. Not no team at all. That's too small. Guys, I want to underscore something. This is what works for DeRosa Group. By no means am I telling you, no, you can't invest in Phoenix because they got their own major league whatever. For us, what works is investing in secondary and tertiary markets for the angle of attack that we have for the market. And it's most important that you guys have your angle of attack for where you guys are getting into the market. So for us, a secondary market that's got a population, as everybody said, somewhere between likely 200,000 to 500,000 people has some real economic growth. That city is certainly going to have some sort of a minor league, not a major league, minor league team of some facet. So I like to see that because that means that companies like Major League Baseball have made investments in research and they spent more money than I did determining if that market's a place where people are going to come and spend their money on games and stuff like that to go. So I love seeing minor league baseball as a presence in the market because it means that there's something happening there. And MLB has certainly researched it and made their dollar investment to build a farm team or whatever it is in that market. Everybody keep going. So then you said, okay, all these parameters, air quote, eds and meds, yep. so education and med, right? Among many other things like the Fruit of a Loom, the underwear people, their headquarters oh. is there. Krispy Kreme donuts. If you guys are on the East Coast, you've been lucky enough to have a Krispy Kreme. You know what I'm talking about. Their yeah. headquarters is there. Eight manufacturing facilities there as well. Toyota building an enormous auto plant just south of the city. So a lot of different things, and we could keep going on why, Winston, but Hervé said job diversity, all those things, and strong employers are there. Then, Hervé, you said, okay, I like this market. And we said, hey, thanks to you, we like it also. <laughs> Your next move was what, right? And I highly recommend anybody listening, once you've chosen a market using the factors we're going to give you guys, you do what Hervé did. So, Hervé, what did you do? I started reaching out to commercial brokers in the area. Before that, right? you put yourself on an airplane and you went down there to go to the market. You went boots on the ground. Irving, I can't tell you how many people I met that they're like, man, I can't find a deal in Columbus, Ohio or in Columbia, South Carolina. 
like, well, how many times you've been there? Oh, I've never been there. You pick a market, and if you're the market hunter on the team, or if you're one of the parameters in the team, and you got to play the role of market hunter until you get a full-time market hunter, put yourself on an airplane immediately and go to your chosen market and do what Hervé's talking about here, right? Survey, so you said find the brokers, and you, you probably drank more coffee than a human's supposed to in a month in two days with all these folks. So, who, who all did you sit down with? Well, again, I reached out to commercial brokers because I yep. knew I had to make an itinerary, knowing that I was going to fly down there to meet up with not only commercial brokers, but also with property managers. I wanted to go ahead and maximize my time over a yep. two and a half day period being down in that market. I wanted to drive around. I wanted to take a look at the properties. I wanted to drive by this AAA baseball park and so on and so forth. So again, reaching out to the brokers in the area, letting them know who I was and what I'm working with. And on top of that, what was our acquisition criteria? I'm going to be in the city on these particular dates. Do you have time to meet up? And I have set up, I think, a string of 12 to 15 meetings over a two and a half day period, a collection of both commercial brokers and property managers, really to get knowledge about the market, really to get up to speed on what to know, what not to know, where to look, what neighborhoods to look, what neighborhoods not to look, and so on and so forth. So it was just a full immersion for me, if you will, on there's so much that you can learn about the market mm. in front of your computer, then there's literally going out there. So once I'm now driving through the innovation quarter and went and said, ah, that's yeah. what they're talking about. So Billion dollar tech incubator in Winston, right. which we guess wouldn't have known about, but we wouldn't have known the breadth of it or the amount of growth that it is going to provide in the market around it. And it has, because you saw yeah. that years and years ago. Look at this. Look yeah. at this old tobacco factory that got turned into an incubator, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you start to see it. Obviously, Matt, we had some properties in Lexington, Kentucky, another secondary market. So you see, knowing the type of properties that we like to acquire and the type of residents that rent inside the properties that we acquire, I saw a little bit more, if you want to call it high-end workforce housing in Winston-Salem, a little bit more higher end that the residents that we have occupying our properties in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's because you do have such a strong healthcare network over there in Winston-Salem, you have the traveling medical professions that are coming in and out. You have a lot of the infrastructure that supports those hospitals and infrastructure that supports those universities as well. And then, like you said, the Krispy Kreme and so on and so forth. So there was a lot of, I see growth in median income in this area. I see path to progress in this area. I see folks moving to this area from some northern cities and other cities inside North Carolina. When you're talking about how property prices were really quickly appreciating in Charlotte and folks are like, you know what? I got to move out a little bit because property prices, quality of life is nice in Charlotte, but it's getting more expensive to live here. Let me look at some surrounding cities. Winston was one of those surrounding cities. Absolutely. And I want to bring it home here, guys, before we get into the metrics that we want you guys to use when you guys are evaluating markets. So when Hervé went and had all those meetings and drank lots and lots of coffee, we ended up buying a deal from one of the commercial real estate brokers that Hervé sat down with and went through our buying parameters. Hervé showed up strong. So they decided to give us first look at a deal that they had 
a while later. Now, he obviously kept in touch with them. This wasn't like a week afterwards. This was months and months after that meeting because everybody stayed in touch with them, checked in, what he got. They threw a few deals that Esther didn't work out. Then they threw a deal that did work out. So yeah. we ended up making a bid, went after it aggressively, floated to the top. The guy knew everybody was serious. So we got the deal. And we ended up hiring the property management company who Irve also met with. Another cup of coffee Irve had those two days was with a PM company because property management companies, guys, spoiler alert, could be phenomenal referral partners for you. Could say, one of my clients over here, he's probably going to be selling soon. Maybe you want to talk to him ahead of time. Or I know that property you're looking to buy. We used to manage it and that property has issues that are X, Y, Z and you might want to consider that. Or I know that property you're considering buying, I know some inside information on it and I heard that the numbers they have are actually a little hokey and you might want to look out for X, Y, and Z. They can either look out for you or they can give you leads and they can also give you encouragement if you've got a deal that they think is really good that they maybe know well used to manage or something. So property management companies are great referral agents, and Irving was smart enough to sit down with several of them, one of which we ended up hiring. And we still use today for managing one of our assets there in North Carolina. So, Irving, let's move on to the metrics. So when people listening here are trying to either whittle down their list or maybe just select a market to start with, the number one item on the list, what do you got? Number one item on the list, there's a long list and there's an abbreviated list, but regardless of the list, number one is population growth. Population growth is absolutely- You're not growing, you're dying, right? <laughs> so that one just nails the coffin shut for us right away. I constantly having folks share with me, hey, everybody, what do you think about this market, that market? For DeRosa to go ahead and invest in, brokers will reach out to me. And the very first thing, and sometimes I'll get a property filled to be my Matt or Justin or one of our team members, and they'll like, hey, all right, let's take a look at this deal. And before I even open up the offering memorandum or take a look at the numbers, the financials, I want to first take a look at the market. And if this is a market where a population is declining, we're not going to go. It's just a non-starter. Listen, business is tough enough that now all of a sudden you're trying to invest in a market with the external headwinds that you can't control of yeah. population decline. It's yeah. like, I can't find people to live in my apartment building. It's a supply and demand thing, guys. It is Economics 101. If you're investing in a market that is declining in population, there are less and less people looking for places to live. The demand is dropping. So if you are on the supply side of housing in a market with a dropping demand in the market, you're going to have to start dropping your price. The intersection of supply and demand equals price. So if the market is dropping in population, there's less people looking for places to live. You're going to have to start making concessions. You're going to have to start making decisions you don't want to make with regards to your pricing on your units. And you're not going to have absorption. You're certainly not going to have climbing prices as you would see in an increasing population market. So population growth is number one factor. It's going to govern a lot of the need for the housing you're trying to provide. So everybody, number two, this is one of my favorite. What people don't see this is real correlation to multifamily, but this is a big one, which is job growth. Yeah. And one of the things that we always take a look at are the companies that currently have their headquarters in this particular market, or if not headquarters, at least they have very large facilities, be it manufacturing facilities, distribution facilities, and so on and so forth. So we look at the existing companies, and then we look at the new companies that are moving into this particular market, whether they're moving their headquarters, they're yep. opening up a new facility, and so on and so forth. Because we know with job growth, Many times at a minimum, you're going to have stability of income. You may even have increase in income. And obviously 
that's going to go ahead and flow directly to the demand for apartments in your market because mm-hmm. you know we've got to remember renters a large chunk as well as homeowners a large chunk of their paycheck goes towards their rents anywhere between yeah. 30 to 40 percent fortune in this economy perhaps a little bit higher so you want to make sure that your residents have that stable to increase in median income and that's truly following the companies that are moving into that market and yeah. also as so many times that we've also looked at in the market, we don't ever want to be in a market that is dominated by one particular industry, be it yeah. the entertainment or casinos, hint, hint, that kind of a thing. Because we just oh, man, know- I can't buy an Atlantic City. Oh, <laughs> Irving, you're killing me. You guys, because- listen, just a, a few things. Pre-COVID, job growth was the number one driver of population growth. So the reason why people move to markets is so they can get a better job, get themselves a higher wage, get themselves a deeper career, working in one of the headquarters, manufacturing facilities, hospitals, universities, whatever it is that's in that city, so they can build a better life for their family among other things. And of course, people also move to markets because of the other ancillary amenities and because of this, because of that. Now, post-COVID, it is still a factor because some companies are on Zoom, but most companies are, have gone more hybrid and more a little bit of Zoom, a little bit of back to work too. No more pretending you're working at home. You actually got to work for real in an office. So some of that, but more and more of face-to-face working in the office. That said, the majority of people that live in a multifamily apartment building, especially the kinds that we invest in at DeRosa, and I think the majority of the investment population invest in is affordable workforce housing. You can invest in luxury housing as a multifamily investor. There's a high barrier to entry there. And the way you play that game is going to be higher in luxury housing in premier locations. So the beautiful class A apartment building at the beach in whatever market it is might be an asset class you want to pursue. Good luck with that. That might have a higher barrier to entry than you want to deal with. And maybe a lot of your tenants are going to be folks that are working full-time from home, from Zoom. So unless you're in those markets where it is a high magnet of desirability of places to live on the beach, in the mountains, somewhere fun, somewhere where it's warm all the time, whatever it is, that may be an outlying factor. But the majority of the spectrum of reasons why people are going to move to a market are going to be because of jobs, especially if you're investing in affordable workforce housing as we do. That's why jobs matter. Number one is because jobs equal population, number one. And number two, Jobs equals people's ability to pay your rent. <laughs> you know, you need people to be working so there can be a functioning economy for you to be able to receive real dollars instead of IOUs for rent for your apartments that you have up for rent. So you want to make sure that there are good paying jobs in the market that you're in. One of the other factors that Hervé does, which we can touch on right now, but, but it'll be another deep dive would be to determine how air quote affordable that market is. I say air quote because I don't affordable housing as in a program for affordable housing. I mean, just for the median income of the market, what's the average rent of the apartment complex you're looking at? Right. Could the average person living in that market afford to live there? That's a factor for jobs. Wait. One of the that we look at to specifically measure exactly what you're talking about, there's a metric, it's called the price to rent ratio. And that's one of the things that we look at and want to be in a particular market where it's anywhere around 15 to 20, because that tells us that that's an attractive market to go ahead and invest in because the cost of the homes are so much more expensive than the cost of renting an apartment. 
you're annualizing the monthly rent as your denominator, and then of course the median price of a house in that particular market as your numerator. And again, 15 to 20 times, hey, this is an attractive place to rent. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing. And everything that we're talking about here, Matt, is for those of you that surf out there, we're talking about riding a wave. Yeah. We're talking about riding a wave, riding that wave of population growth. We're mm -hmm. riding that wave of job growth. And folks, the population growth and the job growth does not need to be a 5 to 10% number. Even the bigger the city, you're going to have much lower population and job growth simply because of the law of averages. So we're talking about steady, eddy, 0.7% to 1.5%, 2% population job growth consistently. We're not looking at just one year. So big booming market that's growing by 3 4 5% a year, that scares you. That scares me a little bit. Because that can't keep going, can it? Yeah, that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And we're holding on to these properties anywhere between five to 10 years. So it's not sustainable kind of thing. So that's where you have to be careful. So Steady Eddie wins the race in real estate. We all know yes. this. And you're holding on for five to 10 years. You have confidence that population growth has taken place. Truly, look, we have to admit what also benefited Winston-Salem and pretty much North Carolina as well over the past couple of years, Matt, since you brought up the pandemic, was not only population growth within the state of North Carolina, folks moving to Winston-Salem, but you're also talking about population migration. That mm -hmm. is something that we did not originally factor into our market research into the city, and we certainly didn't underwrite that in our models as we were underwriting deals in Winston-Salem, in the Piedmont Triad area, because we weren't expecting migration of yeah. folks that even just beefed up that population growth stronger. Yeah. And that's so, really aided the growth as well as property values. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with security laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in security offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. Syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. And this offer is not available to Florida residents. Now, everybody, the next factor I got that I wanted to talk to you about is on the list here. Just to highlight, we talked about population growth, talked about job growth. This is jobs too, but this is jobs diversity. We talked about it earlier. Just to highlight it one more time, we do not at DeRosa invest in markets that have any more than 20% of one employment sector, be right. that oil and gas, medical, education, as you right. said, gaming, call it overall just tourism. So markets like that, that have a heavy slant towards one thing, we would not do. Why? Well, because we just don't want to be tied to the cyclicalities of that one particular industry. Because so many of these are industries, especially when you start talking about things like tourism and casinos and things like that. Yes, healthcare is a little bit more recession resistant, but nevertheless, 
you still want to make sure you have some diversification on the industries that drive the economy of that particular market. So we just don't want to be tied to the ebbs and the flows of one particular industry in that market. Because once that industry is in a cyclical downturn, you're going to see people start getting laid off at the companies that represent the industry in that market. You're going to see median income start to decline. And you're going to see folks perhaps start either trading down in the type of apartment that they're currently living in or they move out altogether. Now, everybody, I know 20 years on Wall Street, that's in your resume here. So a diversification of companies is something you learned to do in all your years working on the trading desk in in Wall Street. There's another philosophy that I'm sure you knew traders back in the day that would say, I'm all in on pharma. I'm going tech. I'm going whatever it is, right? And some days, if you pick the right horse, you can do very well. With that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll give you a contrarian approach that a listener could decide they want to take on. If this is what you want to do, I don't want to discount it. You could decide that a certain job sector is one that's never going to go away or one in a specific market that is so solid that it's always going to be pumping jobs, pumping economy, pumping growth into that market. I'll give you an example, Hervé, and that is Fayetteville, North Carolina. We've invested there. Something like 50% of the jobs come from the military base, which, by the way, is the largest military installation in the world, Fort Liberty, North Carolina. Now, that military installation is not going anywhere. 50% of the jobs in the market are directly or indirectly related to that base. That base isn't going anywhere. It's just not because of how big it is and because of how much of a staple it is. That said, we decided long-term not to be hitched to that, so for ups and downs. But there is another philosophy. Let's say, for example, Hervé, I decide that oil and gas, that's it. I think oil and gas are something that America is going to need for the foreseeable future for at least the next 10, 15 years. It's going to grow. It's going to provide jobs, for example. Or I want to invest near a chosen Tesla as a company that's not going to go anywhere. So I'm going to buy an asset near their gigafactory in Austin. This is hitching yourself to a industry that your tea leaves see as going to the moon or at least staying stable. That's another philosophy. It doesn't have to be, that's not what we do, and that's okay. Yep. What are your thoughts on that investment strategy? Again, listen, real estate we know is an illiquid asset. And I would feel more comfortable, if you will, making a decision on going into a market that's dominated by one or two industries, such as military, such as oil and gas, if I can quickly turn around and sell mm-hmm. my property on a dime, as soon as I see the tea leaves telling me oil and gas yeah. is beginning to slow down, downturn. Like you can sell your stock. If you sell your stock, on the, if the wind changes, you can say, okay, well, I'm, out. I'm no longer all pharma. That's a good point. Real estate turns like the Titanic does, not something that can pivot very easily. So if someone listening here wants to take on that strategy, you can. That's good. Just understand if whatever industry you've chosen to follow takes a turn, it's going to be hard for you to unload. You're going to end up playing the long game whether you like it or not in that market. Absolutely. Um, Irving, moving on, you don't, as a multifamily operator, end up operating by yourself. So there's a reason why you sat down with a property management company when we were choosing a market. And so when someone's analyzing or choosing a market, the presence of local vendors is important also. Who are some of those local vendors and why is it important to make that part of your selection factors when you choose a market? Like you said, some of those local vendors include the property manager. Assuming you're going to be most likely using third-party property managers, you want to have at least minimum two solid property managers in that market, if not three more, just in case you need to go ahead and make a change. 
you also want to have a good slew of contractors. Now, conversations with those property managers, they're going to be able to give you some insight into that in regards to the quality of the contractors in there. You start talking about doing renovations on your property, on the interior, the exterior. You want to make sure that there's a good slate of quality contractors in the marketplace. You also want to make sure the engineers, if there's structural work that needs to be done on the property, again, conversations with the property managers will let you know that. You're going to want to know, have a couple of good insurance brokers. Now, the insurance brokers, they may not necessarily be locally based in that particular market. A lot of insurance companies, they write nationally for the policies and so on and so forth. But you certainly want an insurance broker that knows the market very well because it's just a big component of your overall costs. And they're not necessarily vendors, but I want to know that there's a good slew of companies around. And that's going to be able to just really buttress the growth of the income and the residents at the property that I'm looking to acquire. So those, I would say, are the main ones. There are others when you start talking about loan brokers, but again, a lot of them, they can go ahead and source nationally and things like that. But the property managers, I would say, is the number one vendor. And again, several of them yep. in that particular market. And they're going to have the unit turn company, the other sub vendors and everything like that. So I think PM Absolutely. company is extremely important. And too many people that I know have gone out and put a deal under contract. And while they're under contract, gone out and found the property management company. Yeah. I can tell you, man, that is putting the cart before the horse. It's just like I've talked about in the raising private capital modules. You can't go find money when you got a deal, just like you can't go find your vendors and your management once you got a deal, just because deal timelines is not enough to do enough due diligence on a property management company. So NPM company, by the way, can be instrumental in helping you evaluate the deal before you make the offer. They might be willing to walk it with you. They might be willing to help you perform a lot of your due diligence because that's going to be an asset they're going to be tied to also. Their reputation, their success, their upside, their profitability is tied to the asset you're buying. So we recommend highly that you guys find yourself a A1, A plus, A number one property management company you'd love to work with as you guys evaluate markets. And if you're looking at a market and you can't find one, I would hold off on making offers until you do find one that you like. All right, Irving, moving on. Crime. Not all cities that have crime issues or whatever, like the, the whole city doesn't have crime. Crime has pockets, right? So when you're evaluating a market, tell me how crime analysis and areas that are a little not quite along. Again, crime is one of those things where it's a factor that it's very hard to control on your own unless the mm -hmm. crime is all on your apartment building. That means you got a problem, not the market's got a problem, yeah. which you can fix real easy. You can fix crime on your site easy. We've done that. Right. Crime across the street is very hard to fix. So what right. is your crime analysis that you recommend listeners take in when they're looking at markets? What does that look like? It's a great question. And there are different types of crime. It is what it is. So when we're looking at a market, we're assessing the depth of the crime. We are looking at the type of crime in a particular market. So if the crime that we're seeing that dominates a market, if you will, are auto theft and vandalism, property theft, those type of crimes are not going to scare us or concern yeah. us way about a particular market. Now, obviously, when you start talking to more serious crimes of mm -hmm. shootings and murders, yes, that's going to concern Drugs. us. Drugs, we're not going to go ahead and put ourselves in a market that's overwhelmed by shootings and murders. Because like Matt was saying, you just cannot control that in the market. Well, they're, they're, to me, out of 
market out of that. What I've seen, I've invested in markets that have a lot of shootings, a lot of drugs, whatever. And I've found out firsthand, trust me, just take my word for it. Don't go invest in markets or sub-markets that have a lot of this because I'll just save you the trouble. Those issues are likely more systemic and deeper rooted in the market than where you can deal with as the landlord. Theft and that kind of stuff. All that is, is the begging need for more eyes and more attention. Maybe a couple more police officers that could be hired by you on the streets of that market or on the streets of your apartment building, right? Um, Murders, drugs, those kinds of things tend to be more deeply rooted. They can be much harder for you to uproot. And especially if it's in a sub-market around your apartment building, not in the building itself. It's very, very hard to remove in that because it could be a deeper rooted issue. But again, a market itself is not going to be all crime. One city is not going to be 100% crime-ridden Gotham City kind of thing where it's all crime. But right. there's going to be pockets of crime in the market. And as you're evaluating the market, you got to find where those are. There are certain plenty of heat maps you guys can use. Bright Investor is one that we recommend as well as Neighborhood Scout. Those all have heat maps you guys can use to determine the neighborhood that are showing growth and showing less intrinsic crime issues for you to deal with. Or we want to touch on something here. There are different philosophies, right? Investing for cash flow, investing for appreciation, those kinds of things. When evaluating a market and choosing which market you guys want to get into, there is a certain check on your business plan that you got to touch base with. We at DeRosa are cash flow investors. We invest for early cash flow in the deal, less market appreciation type investing, which is why you won't see us in Phoenix, Raleigh, Charlotte, Orlando, those markets that high growth, as Hervé said, not 0.7% population growth, 4 or 5% population growth. Those markets are big appreciation markets and low cap rate high barrier to entry markets. You're going to pay a lot more per door to get in. And the theory is that if cap rates can stay low or if you get into the next market cycle when cap rates are low again, you're going to be able to liquidate for a much higher profit. And you moving NOI, just a few dollars, is going to yield a lot more upside return for you because cap rates are so low. That is the thought of a low cap rate high barrier to entry market that is very premier, likely going to see higher appreciation, higher rent growth, higher everything, as long as the economy stays good. Recessions tend to hit those markets a little bit harder, but they tend to bounce back a little bit more too, right? Right. The other philosophy is what we do, again, not saying we're right. I'm just saying this is what we do, is slightly higher cap rates and lower barrier to entry, which has a propensity for cash flow. And yes, we get it. Then when we go to sell assets that we have in those tertiary secondary markets, I understand that my good friends that are other syndicators in those high tier markets have said to us, well, when you guys go to sell, you're not going to get as good of a out sale. It's true. But you either pay to get in and you get that reward on the way out or you pay lower to get in and you enjoy cash flow and you maybe don't make as much per door on the exit. Two different philosophies, Rave. I know we chose one, but neither is right. What are your thoughts on those two? Like you said, sometimes you say you want the red pill or the blue pill. What, 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 what where does your interest <laughs> choose a pill, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> choose Don't choose both. Right? If you want to invest in yield and cash flow, that's one angle. If you want to invest right. in appreciation and hopefully if cap rates stay low and market growth stays high, that's a different strategy. Just pick one. Absolutely. Because now my number one factor, when I'm in cash flow mode and that's my business model strategy, I want to make sure that I can have a steady stream of residents renting my apartment with steady to increase in median income so I can keep my occupancy as high as possible to really, really, really generate that cash flow. My business strategy is investing for appreciation. 
let's say New York City, well, truth be told, occupancy is not necessarily my number one variable anymore. No. I just want the value of that property to go ahead and increase. It's just going ahead and riding the tide of median income is going through the roof. Everything is getting expensive. You're in a high appreciation market like that. What you're going to do is push rents as hard as you can all the time. Because yeah, push to the extent that you can. Go to your bottom line. It's going to up your NOI and in a low cap rate market. And in some ways, the secret's out. If you're investing in New York City or in lower Manhattan or in Phoenix or whatever, expenses are likely going to rise at a fast clip also. It costs a living right. increases, so do expenses. So just to keep up with rising expense rates, you might need to keep pushing revenue. So as everybody said, it's not an occupancy game. It is a revenue game. You're going to That's keep right. pushing rents. You're going to try and keep expenses as low as you can to widen up that NOI spread to the point where your property ends up holding value. At the Absolutely. end of the day, guys. There are people that own real estate in lower Manhattan and in markets that people scoff at. Not all money in real estate is made in the Southeast of the United States, right? right. You can make plenty of money in markets that you guys have never heard of or in markets that everybody's heard of like lower Manhattan Rockefeller Center. You can make money in all those markets. It just has to go back to the business plan that you want to implement and stick to and do over and over and over again because that's where I think real business growth happens is you guys choose a implementation strategy on how you're going to play along with that market and enjoy the growth that the market's providing, whatever way works. Everybody, last and final one. I'm not even going to touch the red state, blue state thing because I think that's kind of BS personally. Just know the landlord rules, okay? And every state has different rules. And, of course, New York is a very, very blue state. And right. like I said, landlords are still finding a way to make it work there. There's an old adage, teach me the rules and I'll play the game. So if you learn the rules, if you learn who the referee is and what playbook they're playing off of, you can hop on the field and play the sport. So whatever the market is you're investing in, learn what the rules are for business owners and for landlords, and then play by those. Find a way to make those rules play in your favor, whatever the rules are. doesn't mean you can't invest in this market or that market. If you're going to get into the pool, know who the lifeguard is, okay? I was going to tell you what to do, right, Hervé? I mean, right. we've, we've, right. we've talked about that at length as well. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. You just want to make sure that wherever you ultimately decide to invest fits your business model again, right? You guys keep on yeah. hearing me say the business model, business strategy over and over and over again. So if you want to be in an area that benefits truly from more appreciation than cash flow, okay, well then you know that you're going to have limitations as to how much you can raise your rents in an appreciation market on a year-over-year -year basis, right? So you just have to take that into consideration in your business model. Whereas if more cash flow where, for example, where we invest in North Carolina, there really aren't any limitations as to how much we can raise rent on a yearly basis, year after year or whatnot. So like I said, understand those landlord laws and we start talking about not only what you could do to rent, but how long it takes to potentially evict someone who has not been paying their rent on a regular basis. In some cities, it could take a long time. We're talking about yep. months to months, six months, eight months, nine months. Get In it. other cities, you talk about three to four weeks. It has a major impact on your business model. It has a major impact on the performance of your property. And as well as you being able to make sure that you can make your returns, your payments to your investors. Yeah. So you have to make sure that you very well know the landlord laws and that it fits the business model that you've gone out there and put forth. Good stuff. Thank you. Guys, there is, is such a power 
in focusing on a market, in choosing a market. And again, I'll say it every time, doesn't matter what it is, using the <laughs> factors that Hervé and I have laid out for you guys now and picking a market. Once you guys pick that market and you go in that market and you go find yourself a 10 unit or a 30 unit or a 100 unit, whatever it is, then the brokers are going to call you to say, you just bought that 100 unit down the road. But guess what? I know the guy that owns the 100 unit across the street from that property. And he told me if I found the right buyer, they might be interested in selling. Are you open to taking a look at it? Well, sure, I'd love to. That's what happened to us in Kentucky. We bought one asset there. Broker called me saying, hey, I got a deal right down the street. The guy's kind of cantankerous and doesn't want a bunch of people tramping through his property. He just said, give me the best offer you can, and I want one buyer, not lots and lots of people bidding against each other. I don't want to disrupt my staff, whatever. So we got an off-the-market deal because we bought one property in one location. The more deals you guys do in the market, the more you're going to get known as a solid buyer in that market. That's number one. Number two. The more you're able to build out your local teams and everything like that, and you're able to have big, hairy, audacious conversations like we are right now at DeRosa, spoiler alert, we're talking about in-house management. That's something that you can look to do once you are further down the road and you've got multiple assets, a lot of assets in specific markets. You can start leveraging teams, saving in cost by sharing resources, sharing people, and maybe end up going next level as a lot of operators have and starting up another business that is property management of your own assets. There's such power in market focus, in deals, and in resources and levels. I cannot preach it enough to you guys that focusing on a specific market, it's going to make a lot of differences. It, it could be the, the enormous difference in your business by picking a market and making that your spot and becoming one of the premier owners in that market in the United States. That step out the soapbox. Irvay, let's have a little fun here. In your journeys, and you've met with many, many people, students of DeRosa's, students of us through the Bigger Pockets Boot Camp that are investing in specific markets. What are some of the big mistakes you hear people tell you? When they tell you, I'm investing here, and you say, why? And some of the big mistakes people give you as the why that they've told you. Goodness, I've heard a lot, but one of the <laughs> biggest actually is that they are investing where they live. Yep. I live in Southern California. I live on the Gold Coast. San Francisco, for example, right? Yeah. I, mean, I can't seem to find an apartment building deal in San Francisco. I want to buy a 100 unit, and I got the equity lined up. I got the team lined up, and I live in San Francisco. How do I buy a 100? Well, okay. Right, well, right. You could do right. it, but it might not be a good first deal. Good luck with it, right. And again, just shows that perhaps there might not have been any research done in regards to an attractive market. And listen, for those that live in Southern California, for those that live in San Francisco, or an expensive city where you may find it really challenging to find an attractive and affordable property to purchase, fine, you don't need to invest where you live. We understand all the ease of that with the logistics, so I can just drive by to go and check out the property and I can meet with the property manager or commercial broker in the area, but go to the outskirts. It's something that I preach yeah. over and over and over again. Pull up that Google map and put a 10 mile radius around that city in which you live. So you're not now in San Francisco, and I don't know all the secondary cities of Northern California, but you're looking at those secondary, potentially tertiary cities outside of San Francisco. Yeah. Their growth be piggybacking on what top of what San Francisco is doing, but obviously cost of living is much more cheaper outside than inside. Yeah, we're people willing to commute. You find, find the blue-collar town, the waiter, the person's making 40, 50, 60 K a year living in San, right. working in San Francisco probably can't afford to live there. So where do they live? It could be half an hour, 45 minutes, even an hour away. God bless it. They got to travel that far. I don't commiserate for that, but they got to live somewhere. So find out where they live and maybe consider that. Also consider other markets that aren't where you live. 
we've heard good job growth things coming in. Use the Market Hunter tool that Hervé developed that we'll give you guys access to. It's free. Use it to evaluate a bunch of markets in the U.S. and find which ones start to float to the top. All the all the metrics that Hervé's talked to you guys about today are in that Market Hunter tool. So go grab a copy of that and use that to evaluate a bunch of different markets. Hervé, I've had people tell me they're targeting a specific market investment because it's a market they would like to travel to. Right. Um, yeah. I like Charleston, South Carolina. I do too, by the way. Charleston's beautiful. The food's great. Everything's great. That's actually a really good market, but picking a market based you mean like on South Beach, Miami. Yeah. I do <laughs> too. South Beach. <laughs> oh, yeah. South Beach. Denton, Florida is beautiful. It doesn't mean that I got to try and buy apartment buildings there. I could just go right. there on vacation. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so picking a market because you like to travel there. I get you get to write off a trip and everything like that. That's good. But that is not a good enough reason to choose a market for yourself to invest in unless you want to play small. You want to build a big time business in that market. That's not a good enough reason. Go on vacation for real in the places you want to go and build a business around markets that you see real potential. Any more you got there, Hervé? Yeah, certainly don't make the decision based on where you like to go on vacation or where you live. Do a little bit of research. The market analysis tool will help you. I'm yeah. telling you right now, it is much easier in application than you would expect because we're just truly focusing and you're focusing on one market. Start there and then go ahead and start doing your investigation. I would say yeah. make a weekend out of it. Drive it around. Take there a look at the universities, take a look at the hospitals, take a look at the companies around. You may drive by an Amazon fulfillment center kind of a thing. Take yeah. a look at the restaurants. Great What's source of blue-collar jobs. Yeah. Yeah, Amazon yeah. fulfillment centers are all over, but guys, those are great sources yeah. of blue-collar jobs. Amazon actually pays really well to fulfillment centers in that. So I like seeing those because they're a great source. They employ a lot of people, and they're great sources of good wages for folks that are earning middle income looking for workforce quality housing that you can provide yeah. as owners. And Matt, one of the things I'd recommend real quick is once you've identified the market, a lot of cities, a lot of markets, they have their own Chamber of Commerce there website. Go. go and check out the Chamber of Commerce website because that's going to tell you companies that are moving in, they're doing groundbreaking on a new facility, a manufacturing facility, a distribution facility that they are going to start doing production on over the next 12 months and so on and so forth. For example, that's how we found out about the Toyota EV plant that's going up near the Piedmont Triad yeah. Airport in Greensboro and Boom Supersonic that's building a facility near the airport as well, right? You just go to these Chamber of Commerce websites because the mayor and the mayor's team likes to brag about companies that are moving in and opening and filling jobs in that particular market, right? It's the number one responsibility to make, create the job. So yeah, go no, to I do. Commerce Chamber of Commerce, their purpose is to be the biggest fan for a town ever. So <laughs> right. as if you guys are choosing a market or not sure if you want to choose a market or not, call local Chamber of Commerce. They're going to be bleeding that town. They're going to tell you all about why that town's the most amazing thing since sliced bread. And they want more economy coming in. You buying an apartment building in their town is going to secure more jobs. It's going to make sure that the folks of their town are employed. They're going to be wanting to see you come in and spend your hard-earned dollars and your investors' dollars investing in apartment buildings in their community. They're going to want to see it. So they're going to want to help you. All right, everybody, bring it home. I want you guys to really take this to heart about this market conversations. How else do you hear on a podcast or people giving you homework? I'll give you all some homework. All right. Homework. Uh, if you guys are one of those folks that are listening to this episode and you are invested in 2025 or investigating 2025, 20, 30 markets, look yourself in the mirror, 
boil that thing down to five, knock it down to a handful, maybe go get Hervé's Market Hunter tool at the website I'm about to give you, and really narrow it down to one. If you are very disciplined and you already narrowed your list down to one, book yourself a trip. Go get yourself a plane ticket and go to that market. As Hervé said, go find out who the brokers, the players, the property managers are in that market and go drink lots and lots of coffee as Hervé did and go to that market and meet these folks face-to-face, shake their hands, get into real conversations with people about that market specifically and why it's amazing and introduce yourself as a player that wants to get really, really ingrained and do lots and lots of deals with them in that marketplace. There's your homework. Now, if you guys want to hear more about how we can help you get to your goals or if you guys want to get some of the free resources we have, including Hervé's Market Hunter, you guys want to just go to derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A, derosagroup.com forward slash best ever derosagroup.com forward slash best ever we got a bunch of free resources up there including a personality assessment you guys can take that'll tell you which real estate multifamily investing personality you are today we talked about the hunter right so maybe that identifies with you you can grab Hervé's tool and you can hear other ways you guys can work with us to help you get to the promised land to hit your multifamily goals because we are here to help you guys Hervé, thank you for joining me on this episode. It's always a pleasure to chat real estate shop with you guys. And listeners, thank you for your time and listening to us today. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.